Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob and welcome back to Sex, Love and Addiction. You know, if you want to find me, you can always find me at our treatment program at seekingintegrity.com. And one of my favorite things to do, gosh, you know, you people must think I know everyone in the world and everyone likes me. And the truth is, I know a lot of people and they don't all like me, but this is somebody who I absolutely love and I think kind of loves me back as a good friend and as somebody who I've enjoyed working with for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. So this is Deb L. Kaplan, and let me tell you a little bit about Deb. Deborah Kaplan is an MA, MBA, LPC, and CSAT-S. She's an author and speaker and licensed therapist specializing in attachment, sexual addiction and compulsivity, money, work, and relational currency. I want to hear more about that. Ms. Kaplan is a faculty member for the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals, a certified CSAT addiction therapist, and a certified EMDR therapist. After a successful career on Wall Street, which I got to say a lot of women don't get to do, where dynamics regarding money, sex, and power are legendary, Deborah is the author of For Love and Money, Battle of the Titans, and her recent publication, Coupleship Incorporated from Financial Conflict to financial intimacy. She is founder of groundbreaking workshops, trainings, and intensives called For Love and Money. And for those wishing to create financial health and intimacy in relationships, she is your professional. Deb is an invited guest on podcasts and financial media outlets like ours. And you can learn more about Deb, even though she'll tell us later, at DebraKaplanCounseling.com. And Deb, I'm going to ask you to spell that for me when we get toward the end. So, welcome. Thank you. And I want to clarify, I don't kind of love you. I love oh, okay. You. I love you. Well, you, yes, you love me. Unfortunately, we're a thousand miles away and we're of different uh, orientations. <laughs> but I get, you know what, Deb? We were married, we would kill each other. <laughs> so one of the things I know about you, Ms. Kaplan, is that you worked on Wall Street for a while. And that's an unusual career for women, and especially back in the day. And I think you're on the trading floor, which is even more unusual. But somehow in that environment that is all go, 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 money, 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 and maybe a lot of transactional relationships, not much about actual relationships, you had some like epiphany that had to do with the money. 
And I want to understand like, cause this drove the rest of your career. So what did you see? What, what like crossed your mind when you just, what was your, what was your revelation? The revelation came in a moment of history when I realized that money is actually very much tied to emotions. And that despite what most people think, that money has nothing to do with emotions. And in fact, we can't have emotions when we talk about money. Nothing could be further from the, from the truth. Because we are absolutely, when we argue or discuss or have feelings about money, it is very much about emotions. Well, but I'm just fighting you about the the bills. I don't see, you know, it's just about the money. It's not really about us or the relationship. We just got to pay this bill. We argue about money, but underneath that, we argue about what money means and what it means to us and our history with money. So let's say, for example, you and your husband are deciding to take a trip and you both decide, well, let's, let's, um, let's go on this trip this year and let's go for a week. Let's take some time off. Let's really enjoy ourselves. And maybe John says, no, I, I, you know, we've spent a fair amount of money. I think we should be a little bit more conservative with what we spend and we need to save. And you're like, but, but honey, sweetie, dear, we need to get away. We need to relax. And he's like, don't you understand? We have to save. And therein lies the grist for it isn't saving spending so much as my fear for maybe John's underlying fear is my fear is we won't have enough. I grew up without and I need to know I feel safe when I have enough. And for you, it might be I grew up in abundance and therefore Money is plentiful and there's, I don't have an insecurity around that. And so underneath the argument of save spend becomes insecurity, security, and what that means to the person involved. But I just say like, I worked with somebody who I was very close to and working and she said she had bag lady fantasies. And I knew, you know, I worked with her. She's an excellent therapist. She had a great job. I'm sure she was going to work, you know, as we do often late into career. That was never going to happen. And certainly it didn't even cross my mind to make any sense to me. But she had this real fear that something was going to happen or in some way, and she'd end up on the street. Right. And I don't know if that's what you're talking, because I was like, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. You're so talented. And we were a different kind of couple, but but what her perspectives made no her perspective made more sense to me. Right. From the outside, looking at this person's life, you can't imagine where she would be fearing this and why. And, and you're right, because on the outside, there is no evidence to support that fear. It's potentially irrational, driven by an unresolved trauma or what we call in Coupleship Inc., a financial trauma, perhaps having grown up children who grew up in uh, families where there might be unemployment, or there may be uh, certainly during COVID where there are a lot of shifts to people's lives, some for the better, but most not. And then there was changes to where people live and or divorce that happen over one's life. All of this goes a long way to feeding someone's internal beliefs and unresolved money scripts. And how does this relate to relationships? Oh, I'm going to have to ask you about money scripts, but what is this? How does it relate to other than money's probably the thing we fight most about, except maybe the kids or in our world, infidelity. What does this have to do with a relationship? Other than people say we fight a lot about money. It has everything to do with relationships because understanding where our partners are coming from and what drives some of their beliefs and behaviors goes a long way to building intimacy versus arguing and standing for a point. Like this is 
don't you understand this is my perspective and you're wrong? No, this is my perspective and you're wrong. And then staking claim for a position taking, which is not building intimacy. So is, and we're going to talk more about it in a second, but is this sort of the the underlying premise in Couples Incorporated, which is how money plays out into the coupleship and the actual emotional part of their relationships? Yes, uh, it is very much the premise. I'd love to share that uh, my co-author, Rick Kaler, and I got together. I had approached Rick oh, at the end of 21 and said, I would love to do something with you. And he said, yeah, let's do something. What projects do you have on the on your plate? And I said, you know, I'm looking to build, to write another book about couples. And I have this idea of that couples, when they come together, are not just forming a romantic relationship. It's a business. They're bringing mm-hmm. two companies together made up mm-hmm. of internal parts. Mm-hmm. And that was the premise and is from that place how we wrote Couples uh, Coupleship Inc. And- I'm going to talk in a moment about the couples that we work with and how money affects them. Yes. But it may be in healthy couples. Let's start. And not that our folks don't ascribe to be healthy or aspire to be healthy, but that's not where they often are. A couple of questions. What are the kind of standard issues you see that play out in a reasonably healthy relationship that still kind of produce a little bit of conflict other than what we deal with? Yeah. Like what is healthy financial? And very much to your point, all couples argue about money. Healthy, unhealthy, functional, dysfunctional, it does not matter. We all argue about to some level about money to some greater extent than others. But a very common argument that gets played out with couples is where we will retire when we will retire. What do we want? What lifestyle do we want when we retire? And to that end, how do we start saving for retirement? Or I want to expand the house and put on an addition, or I want to re- you know, refurnish the house, or I want to send the kids to college, or I want to pay for another car. These are the types of conversations that can build into a disagreement when two people are having the conversation and don't stop to hear what's the important underlying message for the the partner now you're talking about in my mind big issues like college and car and house and retirement but i'm betting and as we talk about this that probably these are themes that carry through i don't want to pay that much for this airline ticket or that uh, restaurant is too expensive to go to i would imagine these challenges present in i would say micro and macro levels for couples is that kind of right for sure, because you could go shopping and say, hey, this this item's on sale, the exact same item, but it's not a name brand. So let's buy this one. And the other partner says, well, it's not the same thing. And therein lies, well, it is the same thing. It's a different price point. Why should we spend more when we don't have to? And you're off and running. You said all couples argue all. about money. So are there, and again, I want to go back to healthy couples. So I'm talking about some of our folks in a minute. But how do the, what I think the issue is always resolution, right? We come from different places, but the issue is how to resolve our differences. How do healthy couples? They don't necessarily need therapy. They you know figure out to some degree their own issues. We all have them. How does a healthy couple resolve this kind of disparity between how I view money and how you view money? Yeah. First of all, I could talk about my parents who were married for fifty years before my father passed, and they argued about money horribly, and they were happy. And they were healthy. (laughs) Uh, It was about who pays the bills and my father's anxiety around money and my mom's, uh, my mother's decision to not want to know anything about money. So that you can imagine where that went. 
Uh, but for couples, how do they resolve this? It's about coming together and understanding what's our common goal. What do we ultimately both want here? We may have different paths to get there, but deciding, let the couple decide, do we actually want the common, the common goal? Are we heading in the same direction? Do we both want to go on vacation? And if so, how long? So it's really getting down to the basics of hearing, listening, listening, and constructive communication, really learning how to communicate and hear the other person versus just waiting to respond or react. So what makes the couple healthy about money is what makes them healthy in many arenas, which is to understand where the other person's coming from, even if they get upset, what's going on underneath, and try to address the relationship rather than the, like, I want this, I want that, but what's going on with us? I think that's Absolutely. kind of what you're saying. Absolutely. Because money, like children, like sex, like infidelity, uh, money carries a very high emotional impact for many people if it's an unresolved issue or issues from their life. But money, like anything else, can be a point of contention or a point of coming together so that we can bring our same wants and desires for this family, for our coupleship, for who we are, for what we desire. And it's it's really about wanting to hear your partner and understanding. But I want the car. They'll understand. They it won't will. be a big deal. A part I mean, of them will understand and a part of them won't agree. Well, that's okay. They don't have to agree because I want the car. Exactly. And, and now we're off and running. And then we're off and running. Exactly. Right. So a part of them may say, I agree with you. And another part of them may say, but we, I want a car. I just don't want a car that's that type of car, or I don't want that price car, or I don't think we need to buy a car right now. That right. Our couples argue about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's also understanding that we are made up of parts. It's so funny, Deb, because we could be talking about anything. We could be talking about any aspect of a relationship and it yet is the same issue, which is, do I understand where you're coming from? Do I understand what this means to you? And how do I respect what's important to you and still try to get my side met? Yeah, I'm thinking of that Stan Tatkin statement. When I want to have a good relationship, I think about what's best for us. Yes. But working with money, you're right, is common to anything that couples may argue about. Yet money is the number one factor in divorce and really? relational demise. So money in and of itself might be very common to other things that couples argue about, yet carries the greatest impact and detriment to relationships. I have to ask, you and I work a lot with infidelity. Yeah. And one of the things I've talked about is financial infidelity. And addicts do that. And, and I want to move to unhealthy just for a moment. So I, I do have some, I have so many questions for you, Deb. I don't even know where to start. So I'm just going to start with, uh, let me start with some other kinds of questions. Is there a different power dynamic between men and women around money in a relationship? Or does that really depend on the individuals and the couples? Because in our culture, it seems to play out. Yeah, it's a very good question because in Couple Shipping, we wrote the book for every gender, every couple dynamic, same sex, does not matter. I think human beings. So it comes down to what the person brings with them, despite their gender, sexual expression, or proclivities. It's what do they bring with them into that relationship. So across the board, I don't think it's a gender issue so much as it's a human being in a Western world. Because even if we don't have money as a currency, 
whatever it is we're valuing that we put a important value on that determines a monetary worth, that's what will get an argument involved. See, now you've led to my next question, because I have have all these, I love provocative, and that's because I want people to learn from the questions that nobody else might ask. Please do. Let me think. So you and I are in a relationship, Mm -hmm. and you're a teacher, and you make, unfortunately, as teachers often do, not a whole lot of money. And I work for this big corporation, and I am a mucky muck at the corporation. I'm making tons of money. I know in some of those relationships, the dynamics become very skewed around money because I'm the one who gets to make the decisions. After all, I'm making 80% of the income. I would imagine that I've seen a lot of conflict play out around that, like power around who makes more and what that means. Do you think you could comment on that? I would love to comment on that. Because, <laughs> and provocative as this conversation is going to be, I may not bring money into this relationship with you and I, but I may have something far more important. I may have access to something that you value or that we value. Maybe I bring with me access to uh, intellect or academic entree or people that I know, opportunities that I have available that are very important to us as a couple. So it doesn't have to be about money. It's what the currency or what I may bring or the fact that maybe as a female, I can have children. So I bring that aspect to this relationship. and that But I, I make more money. And so I want to get this or that. And aren't I the one who gets to decide? And You can, if I give you that power. Mm-hmm. And if you choose to assert that power, but if we work together as a couple, there is no one more powerful. Because I also, I often talk with couples and say, look, a healthy relationship is built on empowered partners, not avoidance or in any way indifference. So I look to empower the person who feels or believes or perceives their partner to be more powerful than them. Because I may be giving you all my power and saying, well, you do make more money, so you're more important than me. But Mm -hmm. I may bring something very important, just the fact Mm -hmm. that I am, Mm -hmm. that I'm part of this relationship and I learn or can learn to empower myself and therefore assert a position of self-worth. You know, it's interesting because addicts want power and addicts take power and without permission. And I notice, well, notice, I know from doing treatment, and I see this at Seeking Integrity all the time, I hear spouses say, well, you spent $50,000 on sex workers, and we could have put that money into college. Yeah. Or I will even say to the wealthy guys, you know, there, there are people on the street who could use that money, or there are churches or organizations you could tithe to. And it's, it doesn't even cross their mind when they're so into the addiction that the money they're spending might affect their family or the people they love, or they're Not just in it. Exactly. Um, but then when it comes out, the other side of it I see is partners will sometimes want to punish with money. Well, now I'm going to spend every penny you've ever made. Right. Because you spend it there, I'm going to go spend it here. And I say to couples who have that dynamic or to the partner who's believing, thinking like that, I say to them, I caution you to believe that getting even or getting retribution in this way will do what you think it will do. It will level you financially for years to come. But I'll feel so much better because I'm going to screw him or her over. They screwed me over. But what you're saying is I'm also hurting myself. You're bringing great detriment to yourself more so 
than even what the payoff would be of feeling Why? Because the payoff is momentary. The detriment, financial detriment to yourself is longstanding. And is that the same as emotional detriment? In other words, I'm going to show you how angry I am. I'm going to take every penny you ever made and I'm going to spend it. Of course, that has a financial detriment, but it feels like there's a vindictiveness going on back and forth that is actually concrete in the money. But the unresolved issues underneath are not going to be solved by me spending all your money and and proving to you that I have power too. And so you're saying it's also a detriment to the relationship. It may feel good, but it doesn't help the coupleship. It feels good in the moment, but it does nothing ultimately if you want to heal this relationship. And let's say the, the, the infidelity is egregious enough that the partner has decided, no, I'm not coming back to this relationship. Getting to the underlying grief and pain of betrayal has to be dealt with. And money cannot resolve that. No money in the world can take that pain away. Money can buy treatment. <laughs> money can buy access to health care. Expensive gifts, so maybe you'll forgive me. <laughs> yeah, right. That will only go so far. But money can only salve a wound to the extent that it's an external source of self-medication. What does that mean, medication? It's just money. I can, it is just money. And I can feel good in the moment, but that doesn't fill the hole in my soul or the pain of betrayal or the deep searing infidelity that I now no longer trust. And I thought I could trust and be in this relationship for the rest of my life. And that pain is so at times just emotionally devastating that it doesn't matter what one spends to try to dig their way out of that. It isn't a money thing. It's a heart and an emotional healing thing. You use the term financial currency and in a relationship. And currency to me is actually something we don't see anymore. It's coins and paper. <laughs> That's currency. What do you mean financial currency? And what does that have to do with the, the infidelity, the lying, the cheating? What are the dynamics? If I spend $50,000 you don't know about, like, how does that affect the, I guess, the emotional currency? What exactly are you talking about? Well, currency is what I bring into the relationship, what I value, and what you value that you bring and that I bring together. So currency is what we value about the other and about ourselves in a relationship. And that's different than when I spend money. Currency in this way is something of importance or value and not necessarily monetary. So respect is currency? Respect can be currency, intelligence, age child rearing, child bearing, whatever it is that is valued in a relationship can be currency. So we talk a little bit about healthy relationships and healthy and how it's a shared sort of reflection of the values and the, all of that. But in addictive relationships, the money thing gets so skewed. And yeah. I talk about something called financial infidelity, which is, you know, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to go do what I want to do. You're not going to know. And I, it's the same as emotional or sexual infidelity. I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to tell you all, you know, all of that. How do these pieces play together? The power of money, the currency in a relationship and addiction, especially with sex and affairs and all that. Well, financial infidelity is to your point similar, although can be much more detrimental than sexual infidelity because really? it can trouble a family for years to come if money is, is eroded and there is no financial resource that the person or coupleship thought they had. However, what we're speaking about are secret keeping. Mm -hmm. Secrets and lies and deceit, that is what we're really talking about. 
If it's sexual lies, financial lies, I have couples who I have worked with, and this is very common. They thought that beneficiaries, for example, that they were the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, or that they were the uh, they were the beneficiary or the of an inheritance, only to find out that they're not. And you're kind of shaking your head or going like, yeah, right. Like, I'm sure you've heard this at Seeking mm-hmm. Infidelity. So the financial infidelity can be incredibly devastating. But what we're talking about is the breach of trust in a relationship and an alternative life that is apart from the compartmentalization mm-hmm. that addicts engage in. And it shows up in the same way, which I hear from female spouses. Well, all spouses. If you love me, how could you be with him or her? If you love me, how could you spend this money without talking to me about it? It's almost like the same sense. It is it, the same sense. It is the same. It's exactly the same. And I'll say to clients, you know, I, I tell the clients that we're talking about financial infidelity. I said the same conversation happens around sexual infidelity. And I say to those partners and couples, the same thing we're talking about sexual infidelity happens often with financial infidelity. What makes it all the more terrible is when the two come together. There's sexual and financial infidelity. And we talk about that in Coupleship Inc. There's a whole chapter related to this. Well, I hear partners say, and I, you know, to me, and I I mentioned the word trust, it comes down to trust on some level because, you know, the partner who's been betrayed romantically or sexually will say, I no longer believe that when you go out the door and you say you're going to do this or that, that you're actually doing it. I don't know where you are, what you're doing. I used to never question that. And And then they'll say things like, and if I can't trust that, then I want control over all the money because who knows what you're doing that I also don't know about. Yeah. And that's very accurate. And so we tell couples, there are couples that come in to see me or, or come to see you. And we tell them that there has to be a level of understanding now going forward that perhaps what they do need is to separate finances so that they mm. can have some safety mm. around knowing that the partner, the addict who's going out the door cannot continue to do any kind of detriment. We've had postnups prenups mm. before you get married, but there is in the world of financial and sexual infidelity, postnups. I'll come together, I'll stay and work on this marriage, but I want a new, I, I want a point from which mm. we now reestablish what this relationship is going to look like. And if it takes a postnuptial, a promise, and that can help begin to create safety and trust, then why not? How does that differ from now? I don't trust you. I'm going to take control of everything, and we're going to arrange, rearrange this organ, this relationship, so that I have control and I'm in power. Which still has that sort of vindictive element, which I understand, but it's also related to the lack of trust. So I guess what I'm looking at is where do you define a line between I don't really trust you. We either separate our funds so I feel safe, or maybe I, they need to be in my name for a while. Between that sort of makes sense. How do we figure things out? Thing. How do you separate that from, I'm going to take every penny you have, and you're going to have to ask me every time you want to spend a dollar because I'm so angry at you. How do you, one is healthy and one isn't, I'm guessing, but it looks the same. They look the same, but they're not, they don't sound the same. The intention and motivation, what's my intention? What's my motivation? And that can come down to a simple question of, to the partner, what's your motivation here? The partner says, I want to, I just don't trust that the addict walks out the door. I don't feel safe and I can't begin to think of working on this relationship until I have that level of safety. I want to put the finances or this finance in my name. 
very different conversation than I'm going to, I'm going to bring them to their knees. I'm going to devastate them financially. And I'm going to make sure that he, they never do this again. That's more vindictive. What's the motivation and intention? It's clear. I want to get even. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying, I don't trust you and I'm angry at you. And you know what? You don't get to do what you want to do anymore. Now I get to do it. There may not be anything wrong with that. As long as both partners understand what's happening for them. What are they agreeing to? Is this a conscious decision? I've had uh, sex addict clients, compulsivity clients, those that have uh, had sexual betrayal or in, you know, basically acted the majority of their marriage say, you know, if this is the least I can do, then I'm willing to do it. And that's really the key, no matter what the arena is, is uh, the surrender part, which is, I understand I've hurt you and whatever I need to do to help you feel safe it's not a sacrifice. It's a gift for both of us. Yeah. And to your point, which we also hear, and I want to make sure that that I make this point, if the addict who's trying to build trust and is really working a program and is following through and and being consistent, if that person says, um, I don't believe I have a choice. I think I'll have to sign everything over. I don't have a voice anymore. Well, then that needs to have a conversation as well, because that disempowered place is not going to build trust. So in that, I, uh, I understand, I agree, I have done this to the marriage, I have really created such betrayal that I'm willing to renegotiate what our finances look like, which is different than I don't have a choice now. I have no leg to stand on. I don't have a voice, but that's not a good place from which to have that conversation. doesn't mean that the outcome is going to be different. It means the intention, as you said, and where it's coming from. I don't feel like you're angry at me and you're screwing me over because I hurt you. I feel like you're, we're trying to come together to restore trust. Yeah, we're working on this together. And this is my commitment now to you versus I don't have a choice here. I, this is what I've done to you. And that's, we hear that, you and I hear that all the mm-hmm. time about just anything. Mm-hmm. My partner's angry with me. I guess I, I should just take the blame because of what I did. Not necessarily. You, you're owning what you did. And now look at what's happening. You do have a voice and it's communication. It's what I'm willing to do to show trust and my commitment to that. You know, Deb, I have so many questions for you related to the things that actually happen in treatment. And I was talking, this is such a typical one, and I I would imagine some of our spouses really deal with it, which is I'm going to use heterosexual couples. So I have a husband who's a doctor, and he's been having sex with his nurses. And this is about to come out. And when it comes out, he's going to lose his job. He's going to lose his license. He's going to lose his ability to practice. Those nurses are going to create a Me Too civil suit. They're going to go after not only the company works for, but they're going to go after us and everything we own. It's unbelievable to me that someone in that kind of position doesn't cross their mind. And literally, I was sitting with someone yesterday and they're talking about how they hurt their wife and they let down the family. And I said, you realize you put your entire, your 12 years of medical school at risk and everything you took to build that home and your financial security together. And that's all potentially out the window. I I have many questions about that, which is how do you handle that as a spouse realizing it isn't just money they've spent, it's our entire future, the things we counted on, the way that I thought I was going to be living, because now I could lose my home. I mean, that is one of the more devastating things that I experienced, both with the, the, the addict, who's just, oh my God, did I really do that? What was I thinking? Big question. Mm-hmm. And the spouse, who I have to say, I think you need to get a lawyer. 
Yeah. Because you've got to protect your assets. It is not easy. And and unfortunately, your scenario is not a one-off. It's a playbook. <laughs> I was right. thinking, how many clients do I know? In fact, the story in the book that I use uh, around the financial infidelity is really that. It's not a medical doctor. He's a professional. Sure. And it isn't an easy decision for partners to make. Every situation and relationship is different. There may be egregious betrayal wherein the partner feels, I want to stay. There's enough good here. There's enough love and commitment. And I am interested and I want to work on it for now. I'm willing to commit for now. And then there are others that say, that's it. There's nothing more to be done. There's no conversation to be had. I'm out. And no one decision is better than the other. It's what's right for the partner and it's what's right for them. What I do tell partners all the time in the sense when there's betrayal and infidelity is get informed, do not avoid getting information, hire professionals who will help you, do a forensic accounting, hire a, uh, an accountant if you need, make sure that you know exactly what the funds are in your family, in your financial situation. Many partners don't. What are the divorce laws, laws in your state in case? What are the divorce laws in mm-hmm. your state? Get some legal input. Get get. Uh, I don't have to say hire an attorney because that sounds very divisive. But make sure you have an understanding of the legalities of what's taken place. Well, again, I want to go to what you said. Devices. I'm thinking hiring an attorney could be divisive. You know, which is I now have to. I'm going to hire an attorney and separate our funds, and or could be I really want to protect us. And after what's happened, I mean, as you said, every decision, it's how it's being presented and what's underneath. Yes. I have to ask you this because this is really, really doesn't make any sense to me. I deal with infidelity all day long Uh and I deal with angry spouses and betrayed relationships. And of course, like you said, the hardest ones where I've been married 34 years and my spouse has been acting out before we were married all the way through with porn or affairs or whatever. And those are, you know, as you know, and everyone who's listening is an incredibly devastating, violating, life-changing experience for spouses. But you said that money can be the most powerful reason, or often is the most powerful reason that couples don't make it or the thing they get up. But I'm thinking, how could money be more powerful as a source of pain or argument or disagreement or separation than infidelity, which to me seems like, whoa, that's a big one in the world I live in. How can money take on a larger, can you answer that? I'm not even trying to ask it, but I think. I think what you're asking is how can money have such a significant detrimental impact more than the sexual infidelity on sex? And it, it really is baffling. Studies and research has borne out time and again that money conflicts are the highest, most significant reason and most frequent reason for relational demise. And it's because their emotions of money have not really been addressed. They are now starting in the last decade. Associations mm-hmm. like the Financial Therapy Association, I'm uh, on the board, I've been on the board, I'm the chair of the finance committee, which drives me. Uh, oh, you're chair of the finance committee. I mean, I'm that, sorry. That is just so to me. <laughs> what were they thinking when they said, and I tell them, I tell them this, I tell this to the board all the time, like me, the chair of the finance committee, really? But financial therapy has come into its own now as a, a wave of dealing with helping people deal with their emotions and their conflicts and their inability to resolve arguments around money money and work. And so we are now in a new era of recognizing that 
even though we argue about money, there's a path out. And there's a way to resolve conflicts so that we have an intimate coming together, not just a, a find your corner, I'll find my corner in a mixed martial arts argument. I want to ask how, but that sounds like a whole other podcast. How do couples come to reorganize and merge their beliefs about that rather than being in their own separate corners, as you said? It is another podcast, which I would <laughs> gladly do as many times and often. Coupleship Inc. is one of the first books to bring together skills, exercises, and a deep understanding and a digging into what people's money scripts are, their beliefs about money, how to come together, have a constructive conversation and communicate about that, and then how to work to resolve what their differences are. We sometimes think that every conflict can be resolved and we all are happy, but it's yeah. not the case. But that's what people pay us for to resolve all their conflicts and make them happy. No, they'll come to us, they dump the right. conflicts at, the, at, at our door and say, solve this for me. And what right. I say to them and what your colleague and friend Stan Tatkin says is, you know, you chose each other and, and coming together, you have each other in your care. What is it that you both want to see happen? And not everyone's going to be happy all the time. Am I willing to compromise because compromise is a very big and significant aspect of No, it's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Sorry. And I think it's important to denote that, that couples think, mm. I'll be happy and you'll be happy. And the only way we're going to resolve this conflict is if we both are happy. You know what? That is not true. Right. Because relationships are all about, in their healthiest sense, supporting each other, compromising with each other, building. It's not like, well, I want what I want, and you want you what you want. You might as well live separately. Right. In fact, the maturing, I think, just to throw this out, or if, if of a relationship is when you are more willing to surrender your ego or what you want to the coupleship, not just to the other person. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.